Alrighty, well, good evening everybody and welcome to our prayer and devotional service here at uh, Lakeview Baptist Church. I want to thank everyone who uh, made the sacrifice to show up here tonight. I know that gets more and more difficult as the leaves have already turned and God's pure white snow has already began falling on the ground and so we really do appreciate the fellowship uh, and of course, all those who tune in online, I want to invite you to take your copy of the scriptures and turn with me to the 14th chapter of the Gospel of John. John chapter 14, and if it's okay with you, I'd like to begin in a word of prayer. Father God, Father, we thank you for the many, uh, many ways that you have blessed us. Um, in, in spiritual ways, the many ways you've blessed us in, in physical ways, dear God, for you take care of not only our souls, but our bodies as well. God, let us be forever humbled, let us be forever thank, thankful for your enduring and steadfast mercy. Dear God, I would ask for the presence and help and guidance of your spirit tonight as we look into your word. Dear Lord, I, I pray that all of us, myself included, would, um, by, by means of this worship here, grow in our knowledge and understanding of, of your word and, of course, in our love and in our adoration for you. God, when we join our voices in song as a church to sing your praises, uh, the reason that that is powerful is because of our, our understanding of your truth that is behind your singing, dear God, behind our singing. Father, when we live the Christian life, when we show Christian love and Christian charity and hospitality to others, it is because of your doctrine and the truth of your word which fills us and inspires us. So God, I would just ask that by your grace and the power of your Holy Spirit, you would do a wonderful work for your body here tonight. It's in the name of thy beloved Son we pray. Amen. Alrighty, as I have mentioned, we are going to be looking, uh, for the most part, I think here in, in John chapter 14, uh, looking specifically at verse 15, I'm just going to begin by, by reading what Jesus has to say here. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. If we skip down a few verses in verse 23, actually in verse 21 first, Jesus says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Then again in verse 23, Jesus answers Judas and says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now there are so many things in just a couple of verses that I, I sort of picked and, and, and read here in this short little section uh, that, that we could talk about, and it, and it would truly be wonderful and if you would like to talk to me about those things, you should join our Sunday school because we've just been going uh, verse by verse through this section of the Gospel of John, um, and, and, and we've had really some wonderful conversations about many of these different things, but 
as I was studying this text, and as I was, I kind of preach in my Sunday school class, uh, they seem to be okay with that, so as I was really preaching this section uh, to those people who endure my Sunday school class, I, I really began to sort of be faced with how central some of this stuff is, uh, how, how truly important some of these things are. Now, it's, this is nothing unheard of. This is nothing you. I mean, some of the things that we are, I've just read and what we're going to be talking about, to me anyways, would seem to be Christianity 101. Uh, it, it would seem to be really just rather basic, clear stuff. The, the type of thing that, you know, one of the new covenant promises in, in Jeremiah about uh, what the new covenant is like is that you will not have to say to each other then, know the Lord, for they shall all know the Lord. And what that's, that's talking about is this wonderful knowledge and relationship that we have uh, with God in this age. And I would just think sort of along those same lines, we should not have to really labor too much to tell or to explain to people these things. It seems like we should just all know it. It should just be intrinsic to us and written on our hearts. Uh, but sadly, uh, very unfortunately, I, I think these are things that are very neglected. Uh, and this is not to uh, start fires or to be provocative, but I, but I, you know, the reason that I preach these sermons and teach these Bible studies and these different things there's a selfish reason and then there's a non-selfish reason. The selfish reason is because it gives me an opportunity to study God's Word. And that is a, a very profitable thing for me, just on a personal level. But then the non-selfish reason is, is because I love you. I, I, I love all of you. I love Pastor Cliff and I love Bill and I love, I, I love this church. I really, really do. And I want to study God's Word not only for my own soul, but as a miner goes down into the mines, not just to uh, collect gold for himself, but to also support his family. I almost feel like I need to study and, and go into the uh, deep depths of God's Word and, and to mine out these, these gold nuggets and these treasures, not just for myself, but to share them with you as well. And why do I say that? Well, because I, I think some of the things that Jesus, our Lord, is talking about in this passage are things that our own fellowship of Lakeview Baptist Church could really stand to hear preached on more, hear talked about more. Um, what's interesting and is that this section of the Gospel of John is what's known as the Farewell Discourse. And the reason that we give it that name is because this is the night of the Last Supper. Uh, this is Jesus' last night with his disciples on the night of his betrayal before he would go to the cross, before he would do his great redemptive work in which he saved the church by his own blood. And it would just, I, I think it would just be common sense to suggest that you know, if this is Jesus' last night with his disciples, what is he going to talk about? Well, he's going to be talking about, likely, those things which are most important for them to understand. I mean, if, if you told me 
that this was going to be my last sermon that I ever preached, that this would be the last time that I would ever uh, get to communicate something to you, that would really focus and, and centralize my study and my thought and my thinking. What are the most important things that I want to leave with you? And that is the attitude that I believe Jesus uh, takes on in this passage. And one of the key, there are, there are two things that we notice in this little section that I've read from. The idea of love, loving God, and the idea of keeping His commandments. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And we're going to uh, get into the language, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more uh, later. But why is this so important to talk about? Well, because it's something that a lot of us really, this culture, this world that we live in, simply does not understand. Uh, we don't know what love is. And so what is the true nature of our love? You know, I, I saw something that was shared on the internet recently, and it was, yes, I'm a Christian, but I do this and I do that and I do that. And basically what the idea was is, you know, I can say that I love Jesus even though my life doesn't reflect it. Now that works really good, and that's going to make you very popular if you say that. But here's the question. Would Jesus agree? It says right here, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's interesting, as over the past weekend, I saw a couple things that were shared, and I have in front of me uh, two cartoon graphics and I, I've seen who this guy is before. I, I forget his name, but he's a former pastor. And he, he calls himself the naked pastor. And I looked on his website to find out why. It's because in his eyes, he's uh, you know, unclothing the truth. He's, he's, he's not going to hide anything. He's going to be bold about what the truth is. Well, we'll just see if he lives up to his own claims. In this first cartoon that I have in front of me, you have a, a picture of, of Jesus, and he is standing in front of a bunch of, you know, old church curmudgeons, and they're in their suits, and they're dressed all, all nice, almost as if they wanted to look like they were going to worship God or something, and they're, and they're holding Bibles. That's a very key thing to notice. They're all holding Bibles in their hands, and this depiction of Jesus says to them, the difference between you and me is you use Scripture to determine what love means, and I use love to determine what Scripture means. Now, to the mind that is not biblically saturated, that may sound, whoa, that may sound very, very deep, uh, very impressive. Of course, it's, it's rather ridiculous. I mean, how would Jesus want us to define love? Well, He would want us to define love according to His Word according to the things that he has revealed. I will assert to you that you cannot understand what love is apart from the Scriptures. In this other one here, you have, G and it's, you know, it's a depiction of Jesus, and there's two sheep. And one sheep ha is all in the rainbow colors. So this sheep is supposed to represent LGBTQ uh, type of sin. And there's another sheep, and this sheep is regular. He's just white. 
And the, the regular sheep is saying to Jesus, but the verses. And then the Jesus who's sort of cuddling and consoling the, the LGBT sheep says, love over verses. Now, what is, what is being communicated here by these uh, cartoons that I'm looking at? It's that really what matters to us is not the Scriptures. It's not what the Word of God says, but it's love. And, you know, to a lot of people, that sounds very compelling. But as I said, how do you define what love is? You, you don't know what love is apart from what God's Word has revealed. And I think that these are specifically talking about the, the LGBT issue, but, but what I want to focus on is not necessarily what you know, love between in, in a marriage is supposed to look like, although it's a very important conversation. What I specifically want us to think about is the loving relationship that we as Christians have with our God. Okay, what does that love look like? We can't just come up with it ourselves. Uh, that, that is ridiculous. We need, to, we need to look at the verses. We need to look at what God's Word says about what is the nature of our love. What does our love look like when we love God? Well, the real Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, before we get into these things, as I, we need to discuss something. I wouldn't be doing my job uh, if I did not bring this up, but there are some textual critical concerns surrounding this verse. What does that mean? Well, it means that in the manuscript tradition, there is a variant, and basically what that means is you have some manuscripts read this way and some manuscripts read the other way. Now, the, the two options are basically this. Either Jesus is saying, if you love me, keep my commandments, as though it's a command, or if he is saying, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And the, the other one is a promise. So the argument is over whether Jesus is telling us to keep his commandments or promising to us that we will keep his commandments. Now, I'm not going to get into all the data but I would suggest to you, based upon my own study, that the proper reading should be the promise. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, why is it important that we understand Jesus' words here as a promise? Promising that if we do love him, we will, in fact, keep his commandments. Well, I would tell you that True obedience, true obedience to Christ, to His Word, flows out of a heart that loves Him. These things cannot be separated. You cannot truly love Jesus, on the one hand, if you do not obey Him, because He says that if you love Me, you will keep My commandments. And you cannot truly obey Him, on the other hand, if you don't love him. Think, of, think about that for a moment. We cannot obey Jesus if we don't love him. Romans chapter 8 verse 8 says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And while this verse does not explicitly mention love, if we keep reading Romans chapter 8, 
we will find out that Paul is differentiating between those who are in the flesh, those who are in the spirit, and he identifies those who are in the spirit in verse 28 as those who love God. So we could reason from this that without love for God, we cannot please him. Unfortunately, down through the ages, there have been many people who have tried to uh, please God, tried to do all the right things externally, to look good on the outside. But there was never love. There was never love in their hearts for Christ. And so therefore, without love in our hearts, we cannot obey the commandments of Christ. We can put on a good show. We can put on a good display of hypocrisy. We may even impress our fellow creatures here on this earth. But we shall never please God if we do not love Him. Again, Hebrews 11, verse 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, true faith, what true faith is, is more than just an intellectual belief in a certain assertion. True faith involves entrusting one's very heart, entrusting one's very soul to the Lord God Himself. Therefore, again, we see the consistent testimony of Scripture that we cannot obey God if we do not love Him. Why do I emphasize this? Well, because we're talking about the necessity of obedience, the necessity of obeying Christ's commands. But what I don't want you to do then is then determine your standing before God or your relationship with Him based upon your performance or based upon your works. Because if we were judging ourselves strictly upon our works, our deeds, our performance, guess what? We would fail every time. We would fail every time. We are justified by our faith. Our faith is why we have peace with God. That's what Romans 5 1 says. But what I don't want us to forget is that while we emphasize that, we therefore make it that our works and our obedience to Christ, obeying his commandments, are not important. And so Jesus here is promising, if you love me, you will. If you have love in your heart for Christ, the inevitable effect of that is that you will obey his commandments. Now, let's think about something else for a moment. Where does true love for Christ come from? You see, we've read those scriptures that say that if we are according to the flesh, we cannot please God. And so if love is something that pleases God, if God wants us to love him, but yet we cannot do that if we are according to the flesh, then what that means is we cannot love God in and of ourselves. We cannot love God in and of ourselves. Our fallen and our sinful nature abhors the idea of loving God. In Romans chapter 1, when Paul is explaining the corrupt, sinful nature of man, he describes the sinners as, quote, haters of God. You see, that is the natural man. He hates God. He is not neutral to God. He is not waiting for someone to present him with enough empirical data or evidence that would convince him to become a Christian. That is just simply not the case. Doug Wilson has described the atheism of Christopher Hitchens in this way. There are two things that Christopher Hitchens is absolutely certain of. 
One, that there is no God. And two, I hate him. Now, I realize that that is not the kind of uh, teaching that you hear a lot these days, that the natural man, the man enslaved to his sin, is a man that hates God, but it's what God's own word says is true, therefore I believe it. And so, if that's what we are in our natural state, before we were converted is what I'm talking about, if that's who we were before we became Christians, were people who hated God, then where did our love for God come from? Well, the Bible actually answers these questions. Uh, 1 John 4.19 says that we love because He first loved us. You see, it is by God's supernatural grace working in the life of an individual that that individual comes to the place where they love God. Never ever did a sinner change his own heart or raise himself from the dead. He did not want God. He did not seek God, for he hated him. But God, God shines his light in a person's dark, stony heart. And then when he sets his love upon you, he literally inspires you to love him. In John eight forty two, Jesus said, If God were your father, you would love me. You see, a natural consequence of being a child of God is that we love Jesus. Is that we love Jesus. Now this brings us to a very important and very soul-searching question. Do you love God? Do you love God? Is God your Father? Do you love Jesus? You may ask, well, how can I know if I truly love Jesus? Well, Jesus answers that question by saying, if you love me, what what will happen? You will keep my commandments. Now, let us remember once again that this is a promise. Christ is not saying that we obey him in order to earn his favor or in order to earn our salvation. As we have seen, true love for God is a gift of his grace Therefore, whoever loves God is someone whom God has already brought into a covenant relationship with Him. The issue of obedience, then, is that we obey God as a result of having our hearts changed. We desire to obey God. It's what we want to do. We long to please Him. Therefore, Christ can put it as a promise It is the inevitable result of any heart that loves God that from that heart is going to flow obedience. Jesus says in another place, whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Therefore, all of us who would name the name of Christ must sincerely ask ourselves, if we are going to say that we love Jesus, The question is this, do we obey him? Do we obey his commandments? When we look at our lives, who are we serving? God or the devil? Who are we following, Jesus or our flesh? Has God brought about a real, genuine, actual, supernatural change in our lives? Is he making us holy Are we being conformed to the image of Christ? You know something? That's what the Bible says. In Romans chapter 8, it says that, referring to Christians, we were predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. 
Sometimes people want to ask the question, does God have a wonderful plan for my life? Yes, he does. If you're a Christian, his plan before the foundations of the earth, he said that he predestined you to become conformed to the image of his son. His plan is to make you like Jesus. By the way, Jesus' life was not one of luxury. It was full of suffering. Uh, The Son of Man had no place to rest his head. Let's think about that when we start telling people that God has a wonderful plan for their lives. And so if God is truly working in you, what is he going to do? He's going to sanctify you. He's going to make you holy. He's going to make you like his son. So when we look at our lives, what do we see? Is God, is God doing that with, with me? Do I look at my life? Do I look at how I live And do I just see anger? And do I just see jealousy and idolatry and sexual immorality and I hate and evil and covetousness and malice and lying and a big one, discontentment, pride, selfishness, drunkenness, and and all manner of unrighteousness? Or do we see the fruit of the Spirit? Do we see love? Do we see joy? Do we see peace? Do we see patience? Do we see kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? You know a tree by its fruit. When someone has the righteousness of Christ, they will live righteously. When someone does not have the righteousness of Christ, they will live in an unrighteous manner. Now, I want to add a caveat here. We are never promised in Scripture that this side of heaven we will be perfectly without sin. We are never promised that we will be perfectly without sin in this life, on this side of heaven. And so I, I, what we don't want to do is then become, when we realize that we should be living holy lives, that we should be obeying Christ's commandments, what I don't want us to do is then get to a place where all I can see when I look at my life is where I fall short to the point where I no longer see the cross where my Savior died for me. Because my standing before God was accomplished by Jesus Christ in full. I'm not looking at my works. I'm not looking at my obedience to see if I can tip the scales and earn God's favor. My point is that does my heart look like a heart that God has changed? Has he taken out the heart of stone and given a heart of flesh? Do I love God? Jesus. You see, even the Apostle Paul had to daily war against that old man that was inside of him. But here's the thing. He warred daily. He daily fought the good fight of faith. And Christians, we, we, are, we are really truly promised victory over sin. Not just in the st- sense of you know, standing before God on the day of judgment, vindicated by the blood of Jesus Christ, but also in the sense of in this life, God will actually do a good work in us. He will actually make us holy. And so, if He is going to do that, the question is, do we desire for that to happen? Do we desire to be made holy? The reality is that, you know... If I were to ask the vast majority of people who call themselves Christians what they wanted most, if they could have one thing out of anything in this life, 
How many of them would it even enter in their minds to say, oh, just, just make me like Jesus or, or make me holy? I mean, if I had two pills in my hand, one made you perfectly healthy and the other made you perfectly holy, which one would you reach for? You know, if I could give you $12 million or perfect sanctification, what would your instinctive reaction be to reach for? The reality is that those, according to Jesus' own words, those who love Jesus do, in fact, obey His commandments. Why? It's their desire. It's what we want to do. We do not begrudgingly follow the commandments of Christ as we were slaves and He was this slave, cruel master whipping us and and beating us along, but rather the picture of the New Testament is not that we are in slavery, not that we are in bondage, but that we are set free. Jesus says you will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. And He says whoever the Son sets free will be free indeed. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, for freedom... Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit to a yoke of slavery. Now, most people don't understand this. They think that if we are free, that means, well, I can do whatever I want. No, it means that you are free because God has changed what you want. You no longer desire the works of the flesh. You desire the fruit of the Spirit. The new covenant promise in Jeremiah 31, I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. Which is why Paul also says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. You see, I am free from my sin. It no longer controls us. But what drives me is my love for Jesus Christ that makes me want to live like Him, live like He would want me to live, and to obey Him. We are free from sin, not just that we, okay, got your ticket punched, you're, you're getting to heaven, now just wait out the next however many years until you die. But no, we don't have to serve the law of sin any longer. It no longer controls us, but Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And he says that they will be satisfied. And that being satisfied takes place both in this life and in the life to come. He will actually begin to satisfy your hunger and your thirst for righteousness as you live this life. And... When we think about our love for Christ and our desire to obey Him, I, I really think that we, you know, if we were to, wanting to ask ourselves, well, how can I have assurance of my salvation? How can I know that I, I am truly a Christian? I think the only thing that we could look at is if we are trusting purely in the work of Christ on the cross to save us, we have an empty-handed faith. I'm not trying to appease or to please God, but, but that truly I could not have saved myself. Christ has saved me. But then also this, my heart desires to obey Him. Because I, you know, I don't think that evolution can explain that. I, I don't think that we can have a, a naturalist explanation for that. I really truly think that the biggest evidence that we have been converted is that we desire to obey God. Why? Because 
what lunacy would it be? You know, to a desire to obey a person whom we cannot see, and yet every single Christian desires to obey someone they cannot see. I, 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 the only way that that makes sense in my head is if Christianity is real and salvation is a true and actual supernatural work that changes people's hearts. In closing, I just want to remind you of, of a passage in 1 John chapter 5 which says that His commandments are not burdensome to us. Uh, some good reading to do maybe would be Psalm 119. Look at how much the psalmist desired to be obedient to God's law and God's commandments and God's statutes. I would just simply ask that he would bring that spirit inside every single one of us tonight. With that being said, my brother will come and close us in prayer. Thank you.